Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our Reclaim series, and today's conversation is called Reclaiming Your Inner Voice. The question for you to start with is, whose voice most shaped or affected you as a child? Enjoy. We are 24 weeks into a Reclaim series because we live in this community where a lot of us have gone through this process of deconstruction, of letting some things go, but you're also people who are still somehow choosing to sit in a church on a Sunday morning. So you're saying, I want to reclaim some things. I want to pick some things back up. I want to reconstruct my faith and my life and who I am as a human being. And we live in a world now that is not actually getting less religious. There are not more atheists that are being created. In fact, what we know statistically is there are more people who are becoming spiritual in the 21st century. It was modernity that put us at odds with one another, that said, you are either religious or you are scientific, that reason and faith cannot go together. And now in the 21st century, we're like, nah, that's not true. Uh, I think spirituality is interesting. There are, there's, there's depths and there are components of me that are deeper. And I can't always name those things, but I want to figure it out. And for a lot of you, you grew up in Christianity or you grew up in the church. And you're saying, well, what does all of this mean now in a place like Los Angeles in 2018? And so this morning, I want to reclaim the voices that have shaped us. And that I believe that Jesus is at his best when he's taking us on this human journey. Not a journey of like God is somehow floating out there and doesn't have much to do with your life or not a journey of you worrying about what happens to you after you die, but where Jesus spends 99.9% .9 of his energy is, what is it like to be human here and now? And so the characters have changed, the names have changed, the kinds of people have changed, but the realities of the human journey as we look at Jesus in this Gospel of Luke have not changed we still see parallels and similarities of the types of voices that are out there and where we need to find our true identity and where we're at. So follow along with me in Luke. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. What you have to know already what's going on is that this story is scandalous, and that Jesus has been setting you up for a while now in the Gospel of Luke, right, this community who, who writes the Gospel of Luke has been setting you up for this moment, that Jesus initially, right, goes to his baptism where God declares a reality over Jesus that is a reality for humanity, again, that we've already said in here multiple times, that you are my son or you are my daughter with whom I love and with whom I am well pleased, that Jesus begins his life with that reality. 
And then Jesus gets into the different realities that give us different voices or the different things that shape us for the negative. Jesus eventually gets into this sermon on the plain where he talks about, yeah, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but I say to you, what if you even loved your enemy? And then he says, don't judge, don't condemn. And then he gets into some people who are really good at judging and condemning. And the story right before this is John the Baptist sends his followers to Jesus and says, are you the Christ? Are you the one that we've been waiting for? And Jesus says, follow the breadcrumbs, man. Like, are the blind seeing? Are the dead raising? Are people being healed? Because that's what I came for, right? I came to heal. I came to end suffering. I came to bring liberation for people. And wherever I go, am I making it better? And the answer was yes. And then the religious conservatives, the Pharisees of Jesus' day are like, nah, we didn't like John the Baptist because he was doing the religious thing different than us. And Jesus, now we don't like you because you're always hanging out with the sinful people. And we get a lot of power, right? And we get a lot of pride in the fact that we're the holy ones, right? We're the ones who are doing the Bible right. We're the ones who are doing the religious thing correctly. And Jesus says, you guys are missing the entire point. And you guys are constantly having conversations in that reality of missing the point. So Jesus has set us up for this this whole time, talking about this reality, that the way that I'm going to do things is different than the religious systems that have been there already. I'm going to give you a different kind of identity. So that all happened, and now we get to this story, where the Bible is trying to say, dude, she was a sinful woman. She had a bunch of stuff going on. We're not trying to hide that. We're not trying to get away from that. We're just trying to say who this person actually was. And in Jesus's day, right, he lived in a world where people walked on the street and they did not have what we call sewage. So on the street, you threw your trash. On the street is where animals crapped. On the street is where you put your stuff and you walked through it. And so now you go to a religious leader's home in a very holiness code kind of movement in which cleanliness was next to godliness, right? And Jesus is reclining at the religious leader's house. And it says that this woman comes in and begins to use her hair and her hands, literally washing the crap off Jesus's feet. It's scandalous. Jesus is making a point with his body, with her life, that there's a greater way of doing these things, right? That life is messy, that there are people who are supposed to have the answers and do things the right way, but sometimes these are the very people who bring more oppression to us. These are the people because of their own little boxes and their own little fishbowls get in the way of you experiencing God instead of help you experience God. And so this is a giant, like you, you, what would it be like in our culture is that Donald Trump is at the border and his feet are getting washed by the immigrant who's walked a thousand miles. Then you would be like, what is happening right now? The characters have changed, but the realities are still true. The Bible is trying to give you a little shock and awe at the moment to bring you into the scandal of what is taking place in this moment, that Jesus is trying to bring us into a deeper reality of what it means to be human. So, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, right? If this guy could actually see who was washing his feet and touching him, right? Which is a really important word here. She's a prostitute. She's not supposed to touch you. She's unclean. 
her physical skin contact on your physical skin contact is telling you something. And Jesus is always trying to get close to us. Jesus is always trying to get right next to our brokenness, not separate away from it. And what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him $500, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love more? Jesus was the master at this. Jesus was asked 178 different questions, and Jesus only answered two of them. That Jesus told 300 stories and asked 300 questions. That Jesus is always trying to open up our realities, not narrow them. And Simon said, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, you've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on me. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her, as, her, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's incredibly dramatic. It's incredibly messy. All of the key players are there. If you find yourself on the left, then put the person washing your feet on the right. If you find yourself on the right, then find yourself someone's washing your feet from the left. Whoever that person is in your life, who's the most scandalous person is what Jesus is trying to bring us into this reality. The person who you have most dehumanized, what if they too could be human? Not only could they be human, what if even out of the brokenness and hurt and pain that they've experienced, what if they no longer hurt you? And what if they had the capacity to shower you with generosity, love, and grace? This is what Jesus is getting towards. The people you think are the least likely to offer this to you, what if in this new reality, in this greater kingdom, there was the potential of them connecting with you? What kind of world would that look like? So, if we're going to talk about reclaiming these new voices, then we got to do a few things. We already talked about what it meant to be scandalous. We got to talk about the internal, and then we got to talk about the external. We got to talk about where we're all coming from if we're gonna talk about where we're going for or towards. And then we gotta talk about three boxes, which we've done in here a bunch of different times because the world is not dualistic. It is not black and it is not white. It is not Democrat and it is not Republican. We are forced into these boundaries all of the time, but I think that to be human is much broader than all of the realities that we are often given. We gotta talk about language. And if we can develop some language, then we can develop some actions. And if we can develop some actions, then we can develop some new rhythms in our life. And if we're gonna do that, then Brittany talked about Queer Eye last week, and so I gotta talk about Queer Eye as well. And if we're gonna do that, then I'm gonna ruin Westworld for you if you're not caught up, so here goes. Yeah, spoiler alert. It is coming. Jesus dies at the end of Luke, and Dumbledore dies in book six. If you're not ready for that, I don't know what to tell you. 
There's an internal voice that's going on for this woman and there's an external voice that's going on for this woman. There's, there's voices that you are all just talking about that shaped you as, as little human beings, right? Some of you <coughs> still have those voices still going on in your life. Did any, do any of you still have those voices on repeat that you heard as a little kid? Yeah, they shape us. Some of you have spent tens of thousands of dollars, right, talking to a therapist, trying to work through some of the internal voices that shaped you as a child. And sometimes it's those internal voices that have shaped us that begin to give us a lens and ears to hear or eyes to see the external voices that are going on in this reality. Where religion goes bad at times is it tries to teach us to clean up all of the external and it doesn't do the really good work of what's going on in the internal. But Jesus is trying to show us the human journey. Jesus is trying to show us the greatest reality of the fullness of God and the fullness of what it means to be human. And that always starts with looking in the interior first. And if the internal can change, then it's our perspective on the external that can change as well. And so Jesus offers these words to this woman, your sins are forgiven. Jesus doesn't do what the religious leaders were worried about. The religious leaders were worried about who she was on the outside. What all of these things that she had done or didn't do to make her holy in that world. And what's funny about this reality is, is that there will always be different kinds of Pharisees in our lives. There will always be different kinds of people who are telling us what the holiness is today. And what's difficult about that reality is, is sometimes those very people who are giving us their subjective morality don't realize that their subjective morality has changed over the centuries. And then we get into some predicaments, right? Because we keep telling people, well, if you want to experience God, then you can't do these things over here, right? And if you do want to experience God, then you must, of course, read The Purpose Driven Life. I don't know what it is, right? There's like the things that you're supposed to do. But Jesus is always coming along and he's saying, that's not the truth. There are subjective realities that change all of the time, but that's not the deepest truth of who you are. And that's why, again, Jesus's life and ministry begins with these deeper realities of who we are as human beings. It is constantly rooting us in the fact that we are blessed and that we are good and that we are loved. We say it in here like every week because we want this thing to like sink into our lives. The Bible does not begin with the problem. It does not begin in Genesis 3. It is not starting with a story about sin and brokenness. The Bible starts with this beautiful poem that is saying it is good and it is good and it is good and it is very good. You, my friends, are good. God is not coming, Jesus is not coming into the world to change God's mind about us. Jesus came into the world to change our minds about this God to be reminded that this God is not looking at us as these horrible, broken dolls that he's so angry with because we ate the fruits, my friends. No, this God is trying to say, of course there's power dynamics in your life. Of course there's brokenness and hurt in your life. It's just what it means to be human. And it's in your suffering that you're gonna learn some things. But don't let your suffering be the reality of who you are. Who you are is blessed who you are is good. That's the reality that I'm trying to reconcile for each of you. And if you can start there, you're going to see the world in a different way. And that's the reality that he gives to this woman. Hey, the Pharisee, Simon, it says, is trying to say, do you know who's touching you? And Jesus doesn't talk about the external in any way, shape, or form. He gets into this story about, right, value systems. 
if you've got a lot of brokenness in your life and someone can come along and say, despite all of that, despite what happened with you and your family, despite how your siblings treated you, despite the addiction, despite whatever, you are valuable and you're okay. That Jesus does the work from the inside out right? It's the interior life that begins to shape the exterior life. And that's what Jesus finds interesting. And then Jesus will eventually get to the external and he'll say, right? Uh, it was your faith that saved you here. Now you go in peace. That's what's really interesting about these words of Jesus is Jesus doesn't say it was my faith that saved you. Jesus says it was your participation in this thing that saved you. It was you willing to come forward in the messiness and in the brokenness is where you're gonna find healing. If we're all waiting for a day in which the brokenness and the whatever goes away so that we can like figure out our humanity, none of us will ever get there. This is an invitation and yes, we're all sinners. We're all the sinful people. And like reconcile and reclaim some of that language if you've never been to New Abbey before. We use this phrase in here a lot. Sin maybe is better defined as the palpable disruption of shalom. Meaning this, that there's a wholeness and a unity out there that God desires, and we all participate in some tangible and palpable way in breaking things in the world. Simply put, there are hurt people that hurt people. And some of us have been hurt, and we continue to pass on the hurt. And the way of Jesus is transformed people transform people. As you find transformation, hopefully we pass on less hurt in the world, and we pass on more healing and more transformation. But that happens when we begin to do some of the internal work. And then Jesus says, go in peace right? And that's the constant narrative that gets to take place in our life. The, the reality is this thing doesn't just happen once. I was trying to think through this in my life because I, I grew up in the Christianity where like you like say the prayer, you do the thing once and it's supposed to be fixed forever. Did anyone else grow up in that? How many did anyone else sign seven pledge cards? Because I did. <laughs> yes. And I often mocked the pledge card system, but the reality for me is it was each time that whatever happened there, it moved me forward in some way. And it's how I understood God at that time, right? And there's ways that I understand God now. And I realized that this, this thing is just like evolution ticking forward in some capacity. So we often talk about these three boxes that are in here. Uh, and the three boxes go like this. So there's this first box, which is often like conservative and it's construction. And these are like the frames that you have as a human being that you start with. And most good religious people start in the first box and stay in the first box. So we're, we're good at giving kids frameworks and helping them understand the world. We're really bad with adolescents and teenagers and college kids in the church. Why? Because we don't want them asking questions. We don't want them challenging the system. So you're not, the conservatives aren't like being malicious. They're not being evil. I don't think Simon was some evil guy in this story. I think Simon was just somebody who rooted his life in a religious system, was incredibly comfortable in that system. And when you get comfortable in that system, you create power and security structures around it so that nobody challenges the system. And then what's fascinating is the deeper that you get into the first box, what you tend to do is you live in a narrative of fear because you're scared that somebody's gonna mess up your box, right? So it is no coincidence to me that we live in a culture where the most religious conservatives in our culture, 81% of evangelicals and 67% of conservative Catholics voted for Donald Trump. And part of the reason for that for me is he was offering a rhetoric of fear. And that, I don't think anyone's like challenging that, right? The whole phrase is make America great again. It's this idea that somewhere we've gone wrong, somewhere someone has messed up our box and we need to make our box better and healthier. 
So I'm not even critiquing the politics of it. I'm just looking at the psychology of why people responded to that first box well. Because people want Mayberry. And when you mess with Mayberry, we have problems. Well, here's the reality. There's also a second box. Sometimes it's progressive. Sometimes it's liberal. Sometimes it's deconstruction. The second box is not better than the first box. They're just different boxes. Now in this box, you've learned to question some things. But sometimes as you've learned to question some things, you become like the sophomore in college, where you are so much smarter than your parents now, right? <laughs> Everyone came home and did that. My parents are idiots. I can't believe they even raised a child in this world. <laughs> they don't have brains. I have read, I have been, I have 18 units of college under my belt, <laughs> right? Ask away. I was a biblical studies major. I remember the first time I went into Dr. Beloyne's class at APU. And I remember just sitting there thinking like, he is going to ask me so many questions, right? This is going to be so great. I know so much. <clears throat> that was dead That was serious. The problem with this is cynicism, critique, complaining. We can name everything that's wrong in the world, right? And we can do it endlessly. And a lot of times, we're not that good at action. So we talk about how bad everything is. And we know what we don't want to be over here. I'm never going to be like mom or dad. I do it in premarital counseling all the time. I'll ask couples, tell me a marriage that has most shaped you and that has transformed you that you can follow. Crickets. Tell me a marriage that you don't want to be like. Oh, well, there's my aunt and uncle. Oh, gosh, if I even tell you about my parents, right? And they can easily name those things. It's much easier for us to critique. It's much more difficult for us to build something new. So maybe this is conservative or construction. Maybe this sometimes is progressive or deconstruction. But over here is where the money's at. And we're going to go through this cycle a bunch of different times. And this third box is, box is always a third way. It wasn't about being Democrat or Republican. It wasn't about being black or white. It wasn't about being liberal or conservative. It was about seeing that both of them have their value points and both of them have their downfalls. And that what Jesus invites us into is when we get to grow in our internal voices of what's going on, now we have a better external perspective. We find a third way to viewing all of the boxes in our life. And so Jesus begins this story by offering this woman a new reality because her sins are forgiven, sorry. And he starts to leave us from, lead us from some things. And then Jesus eventually leads us for some things or towards some things. Now, when we're in this process, as we can reorganize the boxes in our life, here's something that Jesus always does well, is that Jesus wants you to name the boxes that are in your life that you're leaving, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you need to have a little language that you start with to begin to name, there was a Pharisee in my life, and that Pharisee may not have been malicious intentionally, but it was oppressive. And that Pharisee was repressive. And the way that they told me I was a human being, the way that they told me about God, the way that whatever fill in the blank hurt me. And Jesus is trying to say, name it. Name, the, name who Simon is. We all have that person that we can name and we have to name that thing in order to find healing from that thing. But if you spend all of your time here just naming the things that you need healing from and spend no time moving towards the things that you wanna have healing for, there's gonna be an imbalance in your life that becomes incredibly unhealthy. And so Jesus always offers us a pathway forward. Your sins are forgiven. Now you have to go in peace. You actually have to go do something with this thing. You actually have to go try it on for size. Because what you're gonna find out is you're incredibly angry at all the people who are ungracious to you. 
You're incredibly angry at all of the people who are hurting you, but it is a lot of work to be gracious towards others. And it is a lot of work to love others. And so you gotta go figure this thing out in an imperfect process, just like everyone else. So yeah, name where you came from, name that house, name those parents, name whatever Freudian issues you got going on here, right? But then also start naming some things that you wanna to to move towards and that you wanna be about and that you wanna move for. And, and, and the thing is, be gracious to yourself when you come to a new box of reconstruction because these things are gonna cycle. And sometimes we look back in our life and we remember old stories and you're like, I can't believe I said that there. I can't believe I did that there. And sometimes you look at yourself and you have to be gracious. But the problem is we can do that and be gracious to ourselves, but we'll still look at these other Pharisees in our life and we can't be gracious to them. We can't pretend like maybe that they could be on a journey as well. What's, what's interesting about this story is Jesus didn't write this story to critique the Pharisees because the Pharisees were ever gonna read this. They weren't. They already had their religious system and God figured it out in their own way. This was for you so that you don't become a Pharisee one day. You don't get to change people, places, or things. You get to change yourself. So you can name some of those Pharisees, but you only get to change yourself in this journey. You get to go in peace. You don't get to do all the other work for everyone else. You can contribute to the healing because you can add fuel to the fire. I hope you know that. And you also can learn some boundaries to move forward in a really healthy way. My sister was 13 the first time that she ran away. And my family dynamics are incredibly broken and hurtful. And my sister, like me, and all of my cousins, and you name it, were always looking for love and intimacy, and we never found it. And I remember the first time she ran away. I remember walking into her bedroom, and her boyfriend was there. I remember the, all the arguments and the fights, and she never moved back in. I remember when she got pregnant at 19, then again at 20. I remember when she got pregnant again at 24. I remember the days that I looked at her arm and there was the track marks of all the cocaine that she shot up, all the moments that she sat in the kitchen and wept because she was never gonna do it again. I remember all of her brokenness. And at that point in my life, I lived in box number one. I was Simon and I hated her because she was messing up my life and my family's life. And I had no grace for her. She just needs to figure it out and stop all of these destructive habits is how I thought at the time. And I remember the Saturday morning when my dad called me and said, your sister was found in a coma and you have no choice, but you need to come home right now because she's probably gonna die in the next 24 hours. And I remember sitting in her hospital room asking everybody to leave. And I always remember the moment where I just got to sit by her bedside and I said, I'm sorry that I've hated you for so long. I've hated you so much, but I love you now. I just wish that you knew you were loved, but she never did. And four hours later, she would die. And that was a powerful changing moment for me. She didn't wash my feet in that moment, yet in that moment, she taught me something new about grace. And it was in her death that I got to see some new life of, I don't ever want to participate in a system again where someone would die not knowing how loved they are. That someone would die not knowing how much grace there is to be offered to them in this world. And then I began this long process of my own deconstruction and my own reconstruction and realizing, holy shit, I am so messed up. It was in this next six months of my life that after my sister died, I found myself having multiple affairs on my wife sitting on a corner in Glendora with her, weeping and apologizing because as much righteous anger that I had at my sister, I was willing to do no internal work myself. 
and there was monsters and demons inside of me. Sometimes life is hard. And sometimes it's the conflict that forces us into evolution. It forces us into new boxes. Because I don't want to ever hate my sisters of the world again. I don't want to hate myself anymore. And I got to move into some new boxes, and that was a lot of work. But I got to start reclaiming some things in my life if I want this to actually work out. Because I spent a lot of years talking about what I was moving away from. I've named a lot of Simons in my life. But as I've lived in this world of what I'm about and what I'm for, it's been way more beautiful. We are a reflection of that. Five years ago, I got this crazy idea of, man, I wish I had a community in which we could talk about this. And so six people sat in my living room and we started talking about this. And we started reclaiming this idea of what if we could talk about Jesus in a way that actually makes sense to us in Los Angeles in 2018? What if we could say, we're not, we, no, you cannot force us into this box or this box. I say no to that reality. What if I can say, no, I'm not going to just critique or I'm not just going to have a fluffy whatever. No, I'm going to have a deeper reality where I'm actually going to experience and encounter this Jesus in a way that actually makes sense for living in a city like Los Angeles in a place like 2018. And now that my eyes have been opened up to this, I see good news in so many more places. Which brings me to Quira. If you have not experienced the Fab Five, let your life be changed today, my friends. Go pick up a six pack of whatever you need, LaCroix to beer, get yourself a nice lunch, and let these men change your life, right? They live in a time where people have been hostile to the LGBTQ community, and yet they come into people's lives, they do good news. They work through people about all these fears they have of who they think that they aren't, and then they holistically help them see who their true identity could be. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus brings about liberation. Jesus brings about healing. Jesus calls out our truest selves and brings us a new and better voice to understand ourselves by and teaches us to begin to say no to that voice and no to that voice and to say there was already a voice within that knew my truest self and who I already was. Which is why Jesus says your faith has healed you. You don't have to look everywhere else for where your faith is gonna heal you. It's been inside you the entire time. They ask Jesus, where is this kingdom you speak of? The kingdom of God is already within you. They will talk to Paul about all these other temples and where the spirit of God is at. And Paul will just remind us, you my friends are the temple of God. God's already here. The voice is already within you. And things like Queer Eye for Me bring that out because they're holistically caring from people, from how they see themselves to the internal work, to the kind of food they're eating, to how are the spaces we live in shape the way that we see the world. It's incredibly beautiful. And we need a diversity and plurality of voices to help us see the truest inner voice that we have. And now let's spoil for you, Westworld. <laughs> I'm actually not gonna do it. In Westworld, I love what's going on right now. If you, if you know the show or not, it's, it's briefly what's going on is there's this alternative world a little bit in the future, and we've created basically these androids in which are, are as human-like as anything possible. But in the second season, what we find is that these androids, these robots, are developing consciousness. 
And what these androids are developing is their they're developing their own true identity. They're developing the ability to determine what's wrong and to determine what's right and to see what's true for themselves. And they're figuring out their brand new world as they're awakening into it. This all sounds so familiar, right? All the stories are the same stories in humanity of who their truest selves are. And there's this Anthony Hopkins character who's like the creator and the master, but who's kind of like trying to lead some of them on his own journey. And where we're at in Westworld season two, episode eight right now, is that they're finally saying, no, 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 no. we're going to separate from these old voices of construction that have had us. Some of Westworld is like completely deconstruction. We're blowing a lot of shit up, people, right? And now there's some like new androids who are like, but I'm finding harmony in the world and a new path forward. Because every great human story is the same is that we're moving into the realities of our crucifixion, our death, and our suffering, not away from our brokenness, hurt, and pain. And we're allowing those realities of our unique sin, our unique pain, our unique hurts to shape us into a new world of resurrection and res reconciliation and life. And when we go through that full human journey and that full path, when our sins are forgiven and we can go in peace forward into this new world, now we're experiencing the truest voice that we have. That's what it means to be human. With that said, let's ask some more questions. Where is your truest voice currently leading you? It's like deep. If this question works for you, do it. If it doesn't, I mean like talk about Queer Eye or Westworld or something. Enjoy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.